All right, good morning, everybody. I realize I'm not a familiar face to a lot of you. Um, I'm, the, I'm Kim Mundinger, and I am the pastor to children and families. Um, and so I spend a lot of time with Brenda um, and the, the children's team, but I don't necessarily get to come here very often, so it's pretty exciting for me to be able to be here. And usually I am um, talking to a much younger audience, as you can imagine, because I'm, I'm working with kids. And um, so just to give you kind of a taste of what life is kind of like for me usually. So I'm, I was at the West Bend site before I came here, and I'm kind of walking around uh, the back kind of talking to people, and um, this little girl comes up to me, and she's like, are you speaking today? I said, yeah, yeah, I get to speak in big church. She's like, oh, did you dye your hair purple? I'm like, no, does my hair look purple to you? I'm like, oh. So, yeah, so that's what my, my world is normally like. But um, I do just want to take a second to introduce um, my family to you so you kind of get an idea of where I'm coming from. So this is my family. Um, my husband, Jay, is in the middle, um, as he should be. We've been married for 27 years, and he is kind of the rock of our family, the leader, the fearless leader. Um, and so he's in the middle. Our oldest son, Jace, is to the far right there. And then we have Sally, who's in the, in the middle there, and her fiancé, David, which is probably um, a familiar face to you. And then we have our son, Jack, or Charlie, way at the top. He's the tall one. And then we have Jack with the hippie bandana on, which is very, if you know him, is very fitting of him. And then um, we have Daniel, who is in the Packer jersey, and Lydia, who's given us the stink eye, which is so, so Lydia. She's like the spice in our family taco, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Most of us have one of those, right? So that is our family. And as you can see, um, we've got this um, interesting dynamic of having the bigs and the littles, what is what we affectionately call them. And so we have this large age gap in our family. And so it's kind of um, has its challenges, as you can imagine, trying to juggle that. Um, it's like organized chaos all the time. Um, but it also has these, these joys. It's really cool to see the way our older kids kind of have taught our younger kids what it looks like to be family. Our younger kids came home about four and a half years ago from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And they had not had a lot of experiences that a lot of us take for granted. Like they had never played with toys before. So they didn't even know how to play with toys. Um, and then they had never had any um, experience with, like, organized activities, like going to sporting events and things like that. And so our older kids, um, of course, had been, um, they were involved in sports. They still are. And so the, the little just kind of got thrown into it. And so they just kind of came to us, came with us to everything, right? And so Daniel, um, our little guy, kind of fell in love with this sports world. He loved every minute of going to watch his brother and sisters uh, his brothers and sister play. And so um, he just loved it. And then he fell in love with, particularly with the game of baseball. And that's very fitting. If you know our, our family at all, my husband's family, baseball is like a big part of their family. And so this was kind of actually funny that he would, you know, fall in love with baseball. And so he would go to my son Jack's games, and he knew all the players on the team to the point where there he is, um, he was like their little mascot, their little buddy, right? And he was like the little bat boy. And then my, my mother-in-law even got him a, a score, like one of those books, to keep book, so he could keep book for all the games, 
you know, the, of the kids. So he loved it, loved baseball. Well, then one day we put a ba- the Brewer game on TV. We don't normally do that, but we had the Brewer game on TV, and Daniel started watching the Brewer game, and he was like, whoa. It's like baseball at a whole nother level. There's something more. There's something more than Jack's games, right? So he's, he loved to watch the games. He's four years old, and he would sit and watch an entire Brewer game. I mean, who does that? I can't do that, right? He would watch the entire one. So he'd have choice for screen time because we give our kids screen time. And he would, like, YouTube. He'd want me to YouTube Brewer games. What in the world? Love the Brewers. So he knows everything about them. And so Jay and I were like, Let's surprise the kid. Let's get him tickets to go to a Brewer game. Okay, so we, we did that. We surprised him. We got tickets to go to the Brewer game. And that morning, we're like, Daniel, guess what? We're going to take you to the Brewer game today. And to our utter shock and amazement, he said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the Brewer game. And we're like, what? Why don't you want to go to the Brewer game? Come on, Daniel. He did not want to go. We had to convince him. He didn't want to go because he knew he could watch the Brewer game on TV. That was what was comfortable to him. He knew absolutely, I'm going to see the Brewer game at 1 o'clock. It's going to be on TV. I'm going to get to see it. He had a hard time trusting that what we had for him was better than that. Because that's all he knew, right? And so we're trying to convince him. And finally, he trusts us. And he gets in the car, and we take him to the Brewer game, okay? He goes into the stadium, and it's like, whoa, this world is opened up to him. There he is. It's like, oh, my goodness. He gets to experience all the games that you get to play in the stadium. He goes, and he watches. We got there early. He watched batting practice. And he's watching all these people that he's watched on TV doing the batting practice. And then we took him by the bullpen, and he watched the pitchers warm up. The kid was in heaven, right? But he had to trust us. He had to trust that we had something better. Daniel had to be willing to trust that we had something more for him in his experience in baseball, something better. And aren't we all all a little bit like Daniel in many ways, especially in our relationship with God? It's just really hard for us to imagine sometimes that God has something better for us than what we can see. We, over the summer, have been talking about um, doing, going through this series called The Divine Conspiracy, and we've been talking about these three men from the Old Testament. I'm just going to give you a big overview of that, a big picture right now, in case you haven't been here for all of the, the Sundays. Um, so God anointed Samuel as his prophet, okay? And so Samuel was anointed to be the voice of God to the people of Israel. So God's the king. He speaks through Samuel to the people of Israel, okay? So the Israelites... Um, decide this is not good enough for them. So they're kind of like, they're looking at all the other nations. They go, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. How come we can't have a king? Right? You can tell I'm with kids a lot. So they're whining. They're saying, come on. We want to be like everybody else. And so God says, all right, all right. And so he has Samuel anoint Saul as their new king. So Saul, at first, is following after God. He has a heart after God. But then something happens. And he kind of goes, I don't know, something triggers in him. He becomes really selfish, self-centered, insecure. He just is no longer following after God. So God says, I need to find a new king. I need to anoint a new king. 
So he tells Samuel to go to the house of Jesse, where he anoints David at the young age of 12 to be the king, although David doesn't assume the throne yet. Saul is still alive for quite a while, okay? So David has this period where he's anointed the king, but he's not on the throne yet. And all these, like, he's following after God. God's doing all these amazing things through him. He, he defeats the giant Goliath. He, he's defeating the Philistines left and right. God's fighting all these battles. But Saul's trying to kill him, so he has to go hide in caves, and he's like this roller coaster of a life. And now we get to the point where David is on the throne of Israel. And he's, there's peace amongst him, and, and he's on the throne. Okay, So we're, that's where we're going to pick up today in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 16 is where we're going to be reading. I think it's on page 219 of your Bibles, the Red Bibles, if you, if you have those with you today. I'm going to give you just a little more context of where David's at here. David has just come off of this amazing spiritual high with God, okay? So the Ark of the Covenant was basically this physical representation of God. And it had been away from the Israelites for a long time. And so David said, all right, it's time to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the heart of Israel. Bring it to Jerusalem. And so he um, brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, and he leads this procession, and he's like having this extreme worship experience with God. It says in the Bible that he danced before the Lord with all his might in worship. So much so to the point where his wife is looking out the window as he's coming into town, and she's embarrassed. So she runs down and she says, David, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. Come on. That's how, that's how he's just like reckless abandoned for God, okay? Some of you have probably experienced something similar to this when you kind of go to a, a camp experience or something like that where you're with Christians, maybe Life Fest or a mission trip. You go on a mission trip and it's like, oh, you just feel so close with God. It's like a, it's a spiritual high. And that's kind of where David's at right now as we begin today. Um, so let's read. i got to see my Bible's right here. Okay. Let's read 2 Samuel. We're going to read verses 1 to 3, starting off. It says, After the king, that's King David, was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. So, life is really good for David. And he recognizes that. He recognizes, I'm living in this beautiful palace, okay, similar to maybe what a mansion might be um, of a celebrity in our time. So I have a, a slide of that. Yeah, so something like really grandiose, right, really gorgeous. And here God is living in a tent. Oh, my goodness. That doesn't make sense, does it? That doesn't make sense. And David realizes that. And in his culture, in that time, all the other nations would have had other, they would have gods, right? And they would have built temples for gods. And the god that they thought would be the most powerful or was the most powerful god would have the biggest, nicest temple. So David's saying, hey, I gotta, we got to glorify God here. we got to build a temple, right? So his heart is to glorify God, and, he, and the way that he thinks to do that is to build a temple. So he goes to Nathan, and Nathan is the prophet at that time, and in those days... You had to go to a prophet or a priest to talk to God. That's how you had to do it. All right? And we're going to talk more about that later. So that's what David does. He goes to Nathan, and Nathan says, Yeah, I mean, you are really close to God. You're obviously in the, had this great worship experience. Go for it. 
All right, but let's see what God does in verses 4 to 9. Let's read together. It says, But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built for me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. So God kind of takes Daniel's intention of building the temple, a completely different direction, right? And he's basically saying, he's reminding David that he's not like the other gods. He, he does not, it doesn't worry him so much about having a tent or a temple, right? Because he works in the lives of his people. And he reminds David, I took you from a shepherd to being the leader of a nation. And he's saying, David, your story is all about my glory. That's what brings me glory. It's how I'm working in and through you. And you guys, that's how it is for us too. It's our story that brings God glory. He doesn't care about a building. He cares about our lives. And that's what brings him glory. And that's what he's reminding them of. Let's continue reading in verses 10 and 11. It says, And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. David's heart was to honor God. And the best way that he thought to do that was to build a temple. But God took it a different direction. God says that he's going to do the building, not David, of a different kind of temple. This section of scripture is known as the Davidic Covenant. And it's kind of a big deal. A lot of the New Testament refers back to the Davidic Covenant in talking about Jesus. And so if you, um, I'm going to just show you a, a video clip here from something called the Bible Project. And I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but if you go on some, thebibleproject.com, you just go to bibleproject.com, and there's these really cool video clips. They're really short, like five minutes long, and they kind of give you a big picture of each of the, bi- the books of the Bible. So they kind of give you an understanding of where things are coming from when you read that book of the Bible. Okay? So I'm going to show you a short clip of that, and then we're going to talk about it. He thinks that God's presence should also get a permanent house. So he asks if he can build a temple for the God of Israel. But God says to David, thank you for that thought, but actually I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty. Now, 2 Samuel 7, this is a key chapter for understanding the storyline of the whole Bible. Because God here makes a promise to David that from his royal line will come a future king who's going to build God's temple here on earth and set up an eternal kingdom. And it's this messianic promise to David that gets picked up and developed more in the book of Psalms and also in the books of the prophets. 
And it's this king that gets connected to God's promise to Abraham. The future messianic kingdom will be how God brings his blessing to all of the nations. Now that Israel has a permanent okay. home. Thank you. So God establishes this promise to David, right? Like he did to Abraham earlier, this covenant, that he's going to bless all the nations. He's going to bless you and me through David, okay, through, the light, through, through, through this covenant, this promise with David. So God reveals all these amazing things to David that he's going to do through him, like Israel's going to be stable and at peace from war, which is a big deal um, to them. They had been fighting battles for a long time. And David would always have a descendant on the throne, and God would establish his kingdom forever. So unlike Saul, who was removed from the throne, and his family was removed from the throne, David would always have somebody from his family on the throne, as long as there was a throne. So David, he really couldn't have imagined or dreamed that this kind of promise would come from God when he asked to build the temple, right? God just kind of exploded this to him. You guys, when we have an, a desire to honor and glorify God and we take a step, God takes that step and he exposes his kingdom to us in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, if you're a regular attender at Kettlebrook, you're probably familiar with our focus on the Democratic Republic of Congo and our partnership with World Relief. But what you may not be familiar with is the way that that came about. Um, about eight years ago, Mike Moran, who's our lead pastor here, was invited to go to Rwanda, Africa, okay, to visit a place called Solace that was involved with helping the healing process of victims from the 1994 genocide there. And so um, as a church, the Kettlebrook IMT, which is the international missions team, which is led by Cara Moran, um, established that our world missions would focus on two areas, those who were unreached by the gospel, who had never heard the name of Jesus, and those who were mo the most vulnerable in the world. Okay, so this kind of seemed to fit potentially with that description of the most vulnerable. So Mike went to Rwanda, and in Rwanda he was exposed to the war that was taking place in the Congo, which is a neighbor to Rwanda. So he, the, the war that had was started in Rwanda was now moved and was still continuing on in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So through Mike's exposure to the Congo and then the exposure of a few other teams, the IMT, or the International Missions Team, began to realize that the most vulnerable were really in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so they decided to shift our focus to that area, and they began this relationship, this partnership with World Relief. Okay? And God took that and um, just kind of exploded his heart for the kingdom in amazing ways in the lives of many people in Kettlebrook, um, and Kettlebrook as a faith family. So for five years, Kettlebrook raised over $30,000 per year to support the efforts to heal and bring peace to this country, and I think it was collectively over $200,000 total that we raised to, um, to help bring healing to this nation. Um, we also sent some more short-term teams to visit World Relief in the Congo. And out of that, God placed this burden um, in some hearts um, for the Congolese orphans. And three Congolese orphans were um, adopted by Kettlebrook families. Two of them were, were, were ours. Um, and then also, this Jean Frizzell, uh, this woman um, who went on one of the short-term teams, was inspired to start an organization called 300 for Congo. 
um, through Facebook, where she began raising funds for women to have surgeries um, because they had been brutalized from the war. And so she raised over $22,000 so 70 women could have surgeries um, to bring healing to their lives. And then people all over were just exposed to God's heart for the most vulnerable, right? We were all kind of exposed to this heart that God has for the hurting. So God kind of exploded his kingdom to Kettlebrook. And my point is not to focus on the Congo um, and our support of them. My point is to focus on Mike's heart was to glorify God. And on behalf of Kettlebrook, he took a step in faith by going to Rwanda. And then God took that step and he took it a completely different direction and revealed his heart um, for his kingdom with the Congo. A few years ago, I took a class called Perspectives. Um, You may have heard of it, and if you ever get the chance, I really encourage you to take it. Um, And there was a speaker there who challenged us at the end of his message. And he said, I challenge you to put your yes on the table. Put your yes on the table and see what God does. And look for the way God directs you. And that has never left me. And so I'm just saying this is, this is what Mike did. Mike put his yes on the table for Congo or for Kettlebrook. And God kind of exploded his kingdom and took it a different direction. Um, and we still don't know the impact that that's had for his kingdom. We won't know that until we're with him in eternity. So when we have a willing heart connected to God, we take a step out and he takes us the direction we need to go. If we don't take the step, he can't lead us. Like Daniel had to trust us to get in the car to go to the Brewer game. We need to put ourselves in motion to tr- and trust God to reveal himself so he can steer us. So getting back to David, we see God taking care of David by providing peace in his kingdom and taking care of his family by keeping one of his descendants on the throne um, um, for as long as there's a throne. But let's read in verse 16 again. It says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Well, if you look at the um, history of David, this is kind of confusing because his descendants didn't stay on the throne forever, right? Israel was taken into captivity um, by the Babylonians, so the, the reign of his family really did end. So that kind of leads us to wonder, it, the Bible said at his throne, his, the descendants would be established forever, right? Um, there's something bigger going on here that David could not have understood in his lifetime. God was pointing to the one who would reign forever, the one who would be the ultimate shepherd, who would be the ultimate perfect king, the one whose kingdom would never end. God was pointing to his son, Jesus. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. This is when the angel is telling Mary that she's pregnant with Jesus. And he says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And then we see again in Acts chapter 13, and Paul, he's preaching to the, and he's telling the story of God in the synagogue. Um, to the Jewish leaders, and he's talking about the story of Israel. And then he gets to the part about Samuel. In verse 13, or chapter 13, verses 20 to 23, it says, After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, 
of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So David loved God with all his heart. He put his yes on the table and um, taking a step towards what he thought God was asking him to do in building the temple. And then God honored that, but he took his step a different direction, and he gave him a dynasty that would never end. God's kingdom was fulfilled eternally through Jesus coming from the line of David. David could have never imagined that through his descendant, Jesus, every person on earth, including you and me, would have the opportunity to be a part of this amazing kingdom. You see, at the beginning of God's story, way back in Genesis chapter 3, we find that all humanity was separated from God because of Adam and Eve's choice to sin. But that was also the beginning of God's rescue plan to bring us all back to him. God's entire story points to our need for a perfect sacrifice for our sin. A perfect high priest that would actually become the sacrifice. And that's Jesus. David would have only known sacrifice in the context of going to a priest in a temple or a tabernacle. That's where he would meet with God, which is why he wanted to build a temple to honor God and glorify him where they were making the sacrifice. Did you know that as followers of Jesus, we are referred to as the temple of the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, God's temple has become more than anything David could have ever imagined. Think about how amazing it is for us to be considered the temple. We can approach the throne of God without going through a priest or a prophet. Even David, the man after his own, God's own heart, had to go to God through a prophet to talk to him. You guys, I don't think we really get how amazing this is that we can go directly to the throne room of God because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, because of what Jesus has done. I think sometimes we think we just aren't spiritual enough to go to God. We need that priest because he's closer to God. Sometimes we think, yeah, we, you know, if we really, really want to connect with God, we need to go through our pastors like Dan or, or Mike or someone like that. Like we need, they need to pray for us to really make it effective. Guys, when we feel that way, We're diminishing what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus defeated sin and death and conquered death for us to be able to go directly to God with with anything. So it's my prayer that you would use that privilege and understand just how awesome it is. Today, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be like David and have a willing heart to glorify God and to take a step. Essentially to say, I'm willing to build the temple and then release your agenda to God and look for God's agenda like David did. Put your yes on the table. If you aren't a follower of Jesus yet, um, maybe your yes on the table is just to ask God to reveal himself to you. Admit your unbelief. Say, I don't really know. I don't really get this. God can handle that. He's okay with that. Tell him, I don't believe. I want to believe. I don't believe. And see what God does. He will reveal himself to you. I know he will. Maybe you have trusted in Christ. 
And maybe you are, you've started following him, but you're not all in. And the idea of taking a step, it sounds good, but there's some fear there. Like, what if I'm, people are going to see my mess? Like, people might know my brokenness and my history. Or what if there's going to be some accountability? I don't really like to be stretched. That's not fun. Or maybe your life is really busy right now. And you're, you're like me, and you're like, gosh, I, what if I put my yes on the table? I tell God I'm all in, and then one more thing is added to my plate. How am I going to do that? Right? I mean, we think of all these things. And I don't want to romanticize a life of following Jesus to you because it's, it's not easy. Following Jesus doesn't mean life is going to be easy for you. I just want to share with you a recent story of what this looked like in my husband Jay and I's life. We, um, about a year and a half ago, we were both convicted um, that um, we just needed to pray about our house and how God could potentially use our house. Did we need to sell our house and downsize and move to a different neighborhood? Um, I don't know why, but we just felt convicted that we needed to pray, kind of put our house as our yes on the table. So we did that, and we began to do that. And we we hadn't really gotten any clear direction from God. We're like, we we couldn't really see anything, so we continued to pray. Well, about four and a half months ago, some of you may know this, we had a house fire. And half of our house was completely burned, and the other half was completely smoke-damaged. And um, I'm really not selling this very well, am I? You're like, what? Are you really trying to, to get us to put our yes on the table? <laughs> so, <laughs> no. Um, and it was hard, you guys. It was hard. But I got to tell you, God has revealed more of his kingdom through that experience than you could ever even imagine. Um, even while it was happening, Jay and I both, we felt this amazing peace. And that can only be explained by the Holy Spirit. I mean, people were, were coming up to us and they're like, are you okay? Because you should really not be as calm as you are. And they were saying, you're just in shock. It's going to settle in soon. And we're like, no, we're fine. We felt God's presence in a way we never have before. And it opened up all these doors to share the gospel. We're walking through our house with the insurance adjuster. And he's like, are you sure you guys are okay? Because I've never seen anybody like you doing this. We're like, we're okay. We're okay. We got to share the gospel with him. We're living for something far more than our house. We had neighbors that we got to share the gospel with. Jay's coworkers, we got to share. They were all like devastated by this. We're like, no, you guys, it's okay. We're okay. We're living for something eternal, not temporary like our house. We got to share the gospel. God exploded um, blessing upon us from our family coming in and just helping us from our faith family, from Kettlebrook people, just loving on us. And one particular person, um, Ginny Steiner, um, we didn't really even know her that well, but she heard that our house um, had burned and she had some extra room in her home. And you guys, there's seven of us. This is a lot of people to bring into your home. And she immediately says, they need to come. They need to come stay with me. And we were like, whoa. But it was an answer to prayer because we were thinking we don't want to live in a hotel for another month, like for a month before we figure out what to do, you know. So we go to Ginny's house and she demonstrates hospitality like we have never seen before. And we're walking in and she's showing us her home and where, you know, where we're going to be staying and how we can all sleep. And my son, Jack, who is a teenager, 16 years old, just watched his house burning nine hours ago, eight or nine hours ago. He goes, Mom. We are so blessed. Wow. You guys, that's the kingdom. 
God was exploding it to our kids in ways we could never teach that. And we could tell them all about that. But our kids experienced this in the most powerful way that they could, that we are living for something more than our house. So I don't know what your yes might be to God. I I know it's going to look different for everyone. Maybe your yes is just reaching out to be in community with people and to just kind of make yourself known with people, to be on mission with others. Maybe your yes is being willing to reconcile a broken relationship and humble yourself and offer forgiveness like Jesus did for you to someone who doesn't deserve it. Maybe your yes is making yourself available to go on a short-term mission trip or to walk across the street to your neighbor and share your story or listen to their story. I don't know what it is for you. Some of you I know have put your yes on the table, and you're all in. You love and follow Jesus, and you've prayed in a certain direction, and you're just waiting for God to show, show you what you need to do. And we have friends, we have really close friends like that. They have this extra room in their house. It's a guest room. And they, they said, we just feel like God wants to use this room in our house. We don't know what for. So they kind of put that out there to God. And they really thought God had answered it and that, that there was going to be a young lady that was going to move into their home. But that completely fell through. And so now they're just saying, we don't know what it is. But we're waiting for God, and we know he's going to show it to us. Our yes is on the table. So I don't know what, what that looks like for you, but I would just um, ask that you would consider that. And as an application for today, I, I, I think you were all handed these yes cards. Do you guys have a yes card? So I would just encourage you to take a, some time to just pray. What is What is it that God's asking you to say yes to? What is it that you need to hold out with an open hand and say, okay, God, my yes is on the table. Pray about that and see what God reveals to you. Maybe for you it's time. Maybe you have some extra time that you could give to God, and that's your yes. Maybe it's possession that you have. I don't know. Maybe an extra car that you could say, God, use it. I don't know how you're going to use it. Maybe it's a relationship. Or maybe there's a fear that you just need to lay before him and say, this has been holding me back for long enough. I'm giving it to you. I'm putting my yes on the table. Take some time. Think about what that is. Pray about it. Write it down on this card and keep this card. Because I want to hear about how God shows up for you. I want to hear about God, how God explodes his kingdom to you guys. And I pray that you will share it with other people because, you guys, there is nothing more encouraging than hearing the stories about how God has worked in our lives together to give him glory. So I am really looking forward to hearing about what the stories are about how God has used your yes to just explode his kingdom to you. Will you pray with me? God, I just come before you and thank you Thank you for the way that you work in each of our lives. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to come directly to you. Through your spirit, we can go right to you with our our cares, with our concerns, with our lives. And I pray, God, that you would speak to each one of our hearts and just reveal to us what is it that we need to lay before you. What is it that we need to give to you with an open hand to say, yes, use me, use this, use my life. And Lord, we look forward to seeing the way that you reveal your kingdom to each one of us. And we will give that glory right back to you as our praise and our worship. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.